Hello and welcome back to Sweet 1111. My name is Caitlin McGarry and today I am joined by Dr. Filippelli, a professor in the School of Communication and Journalism. Dr. Filippelli, how are you feeling today? I'm great today. How are you? Good. I'm good. Well, I would love for our audience to get to know about your background a little bit more. Can you share with us how many years you've been teaching at Auburn and what brought you here? Well, that's not an easy question to answer. Uh, I came to Auburn in the fall of 1994, which was 29 years ago, but I've not been at the university the whole time. In the middle of that, I left and went into private consulting and worked in private industry for about 15 years. I came back to Auburn full-time in 2016 and have been here ever since. And I taught off and on as an adjunct. Um, okay during the time I was in private industry. So off and on, I've been here 29 years. Yes, wow, okay. And did you go to Auburn as a student? or I did not. I okay. got my undergraduate degree in communication from Appalachian State University in Boone, okay. North Carolina. Nice. And then I got my master's degree at the University of Georgia and my PhD from the University of Iowa. Wow, so kind of all over. All over the Midwest, place. Southern, I love mm -hmm. it. So what classes are you teaching right now, and is there a favorite? Right now, I am teaching intercultural communication, argumentation, foundations of human communication, political communication, and communication training and consulting. Okay, wow. And I enjoy teaching all of those classes, but probably my favorite, because it's just my favorite subject, is political communication. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's where most of my interest lies. Yes. So all those classes really do sound helpful for anyone in any major. Um, I think in today's world, a class like intercultural communication specifically would be very helpful. Can you tell me a little about how, um, what intercultural communication is and why it is important to be educated on? Intercultural communication looks at different communication norms, traditions, values, standards across many different cultures. Why that is important is because we increasingly live in a global society. Uh, if you walk around Auburn's campus, you don't have to walk around very far, very long to see that we have students from all over the world and faculty from all over the world in Auburn. When students graduate and they go into the workplace, they will be working with people from all over the world. And people in different parts of the world have different communication norms. And if people from one culture don't understand the norms of people from another culture, it can lead to a lot of misunderstanding. It can lead to a lot of conflict. That could all be avoided if people just understood that they see communication differently than maybe you do, or you yes. see communication differently than they do. Yes, and have you been teaching that class like um, from the start of when you started teaching at Auburn? Yes, in okay. fact, it was the very first class I taught when I came back to Auburn. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, and I think you mentioned that it used to be an online class and now it's in person. I have, yes, um, from 2016 until last fall, I always taught this as an online class. So this semester is the first time I'm teaching it in person. And I'm having a blast teaching it in person. Yeah. I love it. So. Yeah, yeah, cool. So coming from out of state, 
myself, I've found that culture here is very different from culture in Chicago. But what I really find interesting is that everyone has their own biases against different cultures. You know, people from the South have some negative views on Northern culture and Northern people are the same way towards Southern culture. Living in both environments now, I've concluded that everyone is really more similar than we think. Uh, why do you think that cultures are so quick to be judgmental towards other cultures without even having experienced it? Well, humans have a natural preference for things they're familiar with. And so coming from Chicago down to Oliver and Alabama, you come into a environment you are not familiar with, with ways people communicate you are not familiar with. It was the same for me when I left Athens, Georgia and went to Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, it was a, they had, they had different traditions, they had different norms, and I was not familiar with them. And humans just like to feel comfortable. We just, we're just more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that instead of just recognizing it as, okay, this is unfamiliar to me, so I've, I've got some learning here to do, and I recognize I'm a little uncomfortable with it, the human tendency is to denigrate that which we are not familiar with and to think what we're what we know is superior and the new culture that's odd. Yes, yes. <laughs> to be kind. Yes. So you mentioned earlier how you have like been to you've lived in the Midwest at some point and in the mm -hmm. South. Do you think that you've ever experienced culture shock? Yes. Yes. Um, living in the Midwest was very different for me and then I lived in Tacoma Washington for one year so I lived out on the west coast for one year oh, which wow. was also a very different yeah. culture and it was a big culture shock for me not yes. not like I think if I were living in a foreign country yes, uh, yes. Or living abroad something like that yes. but it was still different yes yes it, it took some getting used to yes for sure so what makes someone a good intercultural communicator? Well, intercultural, what we call intercultural competence or intercultural flexibility. And that's mostly the recognition that um, there's some things about this culture I don't know. So rather than um, acting in an ethnocentric way, which is just, I'm just going to communicate the way I communicate and just assume everybody else is wrong. Uh, that person would say, I need to learn more about this culture and I need to think about my reactions because this person may not be being rude to me. This person may not um, be trying to avoid me. This just may be a norm in that culture and I need to understand that before I react yes yeah for sure um, in your opinion what are the current trends or challenges in intercultural communication and how do you incorporate these into teaching well I think a lot of the current challenges are that even as we work with people from around the world we may not be physically in the same location with them uh, they may be working in an office somewhere else in the world. We may be working from home um, in our home. So we never actually meet these people face-to-face. -face. They never actually meet us face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an impediment because when you, when you work with somebody face-to-face -face and you get to know them as a person, 
it's a little easier, I think, to start to bridge those divides as opposed to if you're just seeing them on a Zoom screen or on a phone call or just communicating through email. That removes some of the issues. For example, a lot of the nonverbal, um, if, if you're just communicating by email, you don't have the eye contact issues. But there may be issues in terms of the way communication is, um, is conducted that still we may not recognize because we may not see it as a cultural difference because yeah. we're not with that person. Yeah, I know. I think a lot of people don't realize so many things are like culturally associated. Like even mm -hmm. just sending an email, like if you're mm -hmm. only working from home and you're constantly sending emails, like you you can't tell, like even just a text message with anyone, you can't tell if someone's trying to be passive aggressive and you might read it the wrong way and be like, oh my gosh, they put punctuation here. So that means this, you know, and it's, it's crazy how people are so quick to try to interpret it the way that they've always viewed it and not think like, okay, let me step back and think about how like our cultures might be different, you know, so. Yes, and um, that's, that's the hard part about that because nonverbal communication helps us communicate. Even if you don't speak the same language as somebody else, you might be able to establish meaning because you can read their nonverbals, they can read your nonverbals. Yes. Uh, you don't have that in email and you know we use emojis um, maybe we try to use punctuation but they don't always translate yes. the way that we want them to yes. so for example uh, in western cultures there is a preference for being direct if I ask you a direct question I want a direct answer even if what you're going to tell me is something I don't want to hear um, in other cultures, that's not the tradition. Other cultures really place a high value on saving face for the other person and not embarrassing them. So they don't, they don't want to criticize you. They don't want to give you an answer. So you may get frustrated if you're, if you're trying to communicate with somebody from a culture who values that differently, that they're not giving you a direct answer and they're frustrated because you're asking them to do something they would consider rude and they do not want to be rude to you. Yes. And again, if that's just going over emails, it can be very frustrating. It's frustrating enough if you're communicating face-to-face, -face, but once you get to know the person again, at least you have, you're reading nonverbals and, you know, at some point it might click on you, this person just doesn't want to offend me. Yes. Um, and so then you can say, all right, I know you don't want to offend me. Our, our job is to get this project done. We all look good if the project gets done. Tell me how we get this project done better. And then if you took the attention off yourself, then that person might be willing to more open up and say, okay, here's what I think we need to do, mm -hmm. um, rather than assuming it's a direct criticism of you. So that, that would be kind of the flexible thing to do. But sometimes yes. it's hard to figure that out if we don't have all the communication channels to evaluate. Yes. So do you think that America's culture is more like indirect? We're not as direct to say like, hey, you need to, you know, like be kind of like rude. I know you said some cultures like will not be rude, but they'll say directly what they mean and what they're trying to get across. Well, no, a Western cultures and America knows a Western culture tends to be more direct. So okay. we're more individualistic. And so when it comes to issues of face, saving face, trying not to be embarrassed, 
we focus on saving our own face, not being embarrassed ourselves. Yes. Cultures that are much more collectivistic tend to be more um, concerned with saving the face of others, not embarrassing others. So if I'm, I'm a Westerner and I'm communicating and I'm trying to get this project done because I don't want to look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to save my face. I'm trying not to be embarrassed. Yes. But this, I'm communicating with someone from a collectivistic culture who, who has a really good idea that there's something we need to be doing differently. Yes. But this person doesn't want to embarrass me, so they won't tell me directly. Yes. Um, so they're worried about not embarrassing me. I'm worried about not embarrassing yeah. me. But we're not getting the information that we need. Um, to actually get done what we need to get done. And that's where that can create issues and problems. And then if I were that person's supervisor and um, in a few months I have to do an evaluation of that person, I may criticize that person. I may um, uh, give them some, some marks because they don't communicate directly if I don't understand that that is their style yes. um, and that I need to work differently with them. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So can you just give me an example of a time you experienced a challenging intercultural situation and how you handled that? Oh, my goodness. Well, this, I mean, this <laughs> is a really minor one. But um, when I was in Iowa, I went out to dinner with a group of people. And um, I said, let's all go get a Coke. And we all went to the restaurant and sat down and ordered, and I must have ordered tea or Sprite or something. And they looked at me and said, what? (laughs) You said you're going to get a Coke. Uh, I'm like, no. Uh, In Southern, Coke means every soft drink. Yeah. You know, it means every drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, we just all had a good laugh about that. Yeah. But, again, it was, you know, it's just a different way of doing yeah it's just those small little like language things that people just interpret differently like I mean I've seen uh, they have those like quizzes now where they can like figure out what part of the country you're Mm -hmm. from just Mm -hmm. based on how you pronounce words and what you call something Mm -hmm. like what you call a sandwich Mm -hmm. like a hoagie or a sand like it's a hoagie a grinder a sub yeah what it will and it's always like crazy accurate like I remember Mm -hmm. I took the quiz and I was like that's common sense, common sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, everyone calls it that. And then it like mm-hmm. guessed exactly where I was mm-hmm. from. I was like, wow. It's like, you don't realize all that is like culture associated. Yeah. I'm from North Carolina originally is where I was raised. And, um, so those orange cheese crackers, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, what do you call those? Like the ones that are like a cheese sandwich yeah. or, yeah. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, they might have cheese in them or peanut butter in them. But, you know, there's orange crackers that come in a little pack. Lance makes them. Yeah. I honestly don't even know what we – just, like, cheese crackers. Okay. I don't yeah. In North Carolina, those are called nabs. Oh, wow. And apparently nowhere else in the world. Yeah, so I've never heard of that. Somebody, if you want a pack of nabs. And so oh. if you said that to somebody here, they would probably look at you like, you're. what is a pack of nabs? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so it's just, you know, every, every culture, and even if you think in the United States, we're all speaking the same language, allegedly. Yes. Uh, but still, it evolves in so many different ways in so many regions of the country. And then if you think about different countries with different languages, how you add on top of that. Yes. You can understand how cultural misunderstanding 
is a very real concern. Yes, yes. So in your opinion, what role does empathy play in intercultural communication and how do you cultivate that quality in students? Empathy plays a huge role. And for example, if you're working with a student, uh, let's say an international student here at Auburn, it's always helpful to think, how would I feel if I were in a country not my own? Mm -hmm. And I am trying to learn in a language that is not my first language. How, how, how much harder would things be for me? How would it feel? And um, when I was in graduate school at the University of Iowa, and I've done some of this here as well, I, t I worked with students um, who were coming into Iowa who were going to be graduate teaching assistants to help them improve their English conversational skills. And these students were absolutely brilliant. They were brilliant minds, and they were coming in to study in physics, in engineering, and brilliant students. But it frustrated them that they could not master some of the most basic communication. And if you've ever taken a language class, I mean, you're taking Spanish or French in high school or things like that, you tend to learn textbook mm -hmm. Spanish or textbook French. And these students, many of them, were they were from China, they were from um, Malaysia, they were from Singapore, they were from Japan, most of them were from Asia. And they'd, they'd all taken English and they'd all had to pass high levels of English tests to, to be able to come over and study in graduate school, but it was all textbook English, yes. which is the English nobody spoke. Yes. So uh, they didn't understand. One student came in one day and she said, what is a holy cow? <laughs> and I said, excuse me. She said, my professor in my lab got, he made a discovery and all of a sudden he started jumping up and shouting, holy cow, holy cow, holy cow. I have no idea what a holy cow is. <laughs> I just, that, that's an expression that means he was excited. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. And I think I know a lot of people that have just studied abroad for just a couple of months or a couple of weeks and they come back and they're like, I learned so much more Spanish or like mm -hmm. French than I did in a whole semester worth of class. Like they say that they learned so much just hearing it around them and like because you learn it the way people actually speak yes. it and yes. actually live it as opposed to what's in the textbook. Yes. So and you can imagine if you learn textbook English is not the English anybody speaks. We, yes. we use slang, we use colloquialisms yes. all of the time, and none of that is in the textbooks. Yes, yeah, it's funny you say that holy cow thing too because my friend this summer had like her family friend from Germany who's lived there his whole life come to visit, mm -hmm. and we were all talking to him, and he understood English, like he understood what we were saying, mm -hmm. and he could respond back, but I think I was having a conversation with him, and I said something like, like, I'm over the moon about this or I'm I said one of those terms that mm -hmm. no one would understand and it comes so easily to us and my friend stopped me and she was like he doesn't know what that means and I was like oh my gosh like I didn't even realize it's so embedded in my head to say those things and yeah you and I would take for granted we know what those things mean yes. but somebody who speaks a different language even if they speak English but has not spoken it colloquially mm -hmm. would never likely never have yes. heard it and not have a clue as to what that means yes and you know even the phrase I just said holy cow where does that come from yeah, yeah. well that probably is an allusion to the Hindu um, 
you know, the sacred cow in the Hindu religion. So you've got multiple cultural overlays on that. Yeah, that's true. So in today's world, culture seems to be extremely emphasized through the media. Do you think that this is beneficial for people wanting to educate themselves or more harmful because of possible unreliable sources? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to both. I mean, it's always good to be exposed and to learn, but I do think, especially on social media, People are so quick to assume the worst about people when they do make a mistake. And it could be just a mistake. It could be just not understanding. And they're so quick to assume the worst about people. And I think we need to back off on that. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all don't know what we don't know. And so none of us are going to never make a mistake, especially when it comes into communication. But, um, but again, the more we are exposed, the less we should be able to do that. But we're still human and we're, everybody mm-hmm. is going to make mistakes. Yes. So if a student wanted to learn more about how to be a better communicator and they think it'll be important for their job in the future, but they're, I mean, they're possibly not in the communication and journalism school and they're doing something completely different. What would you recommend them to do? You can still take intercultural communication if you're not a communication student. Okay, Okay. as an elective. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes. And it would be a good elective to take, especially if you think you're going to be in a field where you're going to work with people or you want to travel a lot. Uh, would be excellent. The other thing you could do is participate in some of the international programs here at Auburn University. Um, the the global uh, office, global programs office, has programs all through the semester, all year long, where they highlight um, students from different cultures and invite um, everybody in the Auburn family to come learn and. You could, you could take advantage of those opportunities as well. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the time it's also about just putting yourself in those situations, even though they might be uncomfortable, like studying mm-hmm. abroad and not necessarily knowing what you're heading mm-hmm. into, and maybe like the first couple of weeks it might be uncomfortable, but I just think it's such a mm-hmm. great learning experience. I think it is too, and you know, that's probably my one regret about my undergraduate days. I was so focused on graduating in four years. Mm-hmm. Four years. I'm going to graduate in four years. And I looked at a study abroad program, and it really was going to delay me like a semester or two. I'm like, nope, can't do that, can't do that. Yeah. And I so wish I had I had done a study abroad semester. And, you know, when you, when you get to my age now, which I'm <laughs> in my 60s, an extra six months is nothing yes. in the great span of yes. time. Although when I was a junior looking at that, extra six months in college seemed like a lifetime yes but it really it's nothing and my suggestion would be do the study abroad if you can do the study abroad travel as much as you can that's the best way to learn yes travel as much as you can I had a great aunt who lived to be 106 years old she traveled the world um, and her motto was any money not spent on travel was wasted Wow, that's uh, and uh, she she had the most interesting life, and I love to hear her stories. Yeah, yeah, about her travels. Yeah, I have never really been a big traveler. My parents never really liked to, like, they just 
put their money in other places. They weren't really focused on like vacations and stuff. But now as I'm getting older, I'm like, I feel like I need to go somewhere. Like I've never left the country. I'm like, I need to go somewhere because I think I would just love trying to learn about all those things. And I think, yeah, I'm probably underestimating the culture shock. If I, I think if I studied abroad for a semester, which I was thinking about doing this year, um, I would definitely be a little scared at first. But I, I think that, mm-hmm. I mean, all students should, should do it if they can. Well, and culture shock is not something to be afraid of because mm-hmm. it's normal. If you, if you travel and spend any amount of time in a culture, especially a culture that might be very different from your own, you are going to experience culture shock. It's normal. It's natural. It's part of the learning process. So being afraid of culture shock um, isn't helpful because it you're you're going to you're going to do it. Um, and so if you know. Yes, I will experience some culture shock. So I just have to be open to making mistakes, yes. learning from my mistakes, yes. and learning as much about the culture as I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, th- is helpful. One of the things I found, that I've not been abroad a lot, and I'm planning on changing that actually starting next summer. Uh, but um, uh, I took my parents to Italy for their 50th wedding anniversary we intentionally stayed out of high tourist areas. We stayed in, um, they would be called Airbnbs today, but they were called bed and breakfast back then. But we just rented little apartments or um, little little houses. And we, we didn't go with tours. We traveled ourselves. And we intentionally tried to stay out. I mean, we, we visited the Coliseum. We did all of that. But we spent most of our time in small little villages because we really wanted to experience Italian life and mm-hmm. Italian culture and not an Americanized version yes. of it. And yes. it was wonderful. It wow. was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was great. So I really, I've loved hearing about your perspective on everything. I mean, I feel like you have so much like experience in all parts of like the different different parts of the world and it's really interesting to hear about how this is really a beneficial class and topic for everyone every student at Auburn everyone everywhere no matter what age you are I feel like this is something this this class would benefit any student at Auburn uh, it, it is a very beneficial class and you do not need to be a comm major or minor in order to sign up yeah. for this class yeah. but even if you can't get the class there are still plenty of intercultural opportunities um, through the Auburn Global Office to experience the many different cultures that we are fortunate to have with us here at Auburn University. Yes. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me today. Um, I loved hearing about who you are as a teacher and the importance of intercultural communication. I wish you the best of luck with teaching and continuing to make an impact at Auburn. That is all for today's episode. I'm Caitlin McGarry with Sweet 1111, and I'll catch you next time.